Welcome to the PaxX Podcast, available on iTunes. This is episode 52 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mary. We've talked about how uh, people are getting larger and how that impacts uh, seats on airplanes and things. I think after this holiday season, I've been doing my part to increase the size of the uh, flying public. <laughs> you and me both, Max. I know. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Uh, before we get started, we'd like to thank the Jetliner Cabins ebook app for sponsoring this week's podcast. When you're enjoying an in flight meal or movie high above the earth, have you ever wondered about the level of thinking that's gone into your immediate living space? The contoured seat back and supporting headrest, the safety provisions, the mood lighting, the meticulous selection of sound absorbent material calibrated to block intrusive noise. Jetliner Cabins is the story of how scientists, designers, engineers, maintenance, and marketing specialists have transformed the stark tubular interiors of typical airliners into unique settings. The ebook app invites readers to explore the expertise, discover the details, and enjoy the fascinating world of jetliner cabins. Visit jetlinercabins.com to learn more and to download the app. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today. Joining us from Australia, Ron Chapman serves as president of ASI Group which provides low-cost in-flight connectivity solutions to the business aviation market and is now working in the commercial airline space. Ron has over 30 years of experience in the aviation industry, having pioneered new technologies and world firsts in flight. Welcome to the show, Ron. Thanks, Mary. Happy to be on board. Ron, it's a delight to have you. And let's jump right in and take a look at some of the PaxX news stories that are making headlines. First, the Teal Group is forecasting that business aircraft deliveries won't return to 2008 peak levels until 2021. But as new deliveries have stagnated, we know that older aircraft are being refurbished with various PAXX upgrades. Now, Ron, you've got a unique perspective on this since ASI Group serves the business aviation market with a variety of low-cost solutions including a system that uses Bluetooth and Iridium to deliver voice and SMS and email. What are you seeing in terms of aircraft refurbishments? And does a stagnant new aircraft delivery market benefit ASI Group in the retrofit market? Yeah, well, historically, Max, a, a slowdown in new aircraft sales has always seen an increase in aircraft refurbishments. And with more than 16,000 business aircraft equipped with the Iridium phone, you know, we expect to see a whole new wave of upgrades uh, as the new Iridium Next platform comes online. So while our current low-cost classic Iridium solutions had a very good year, uh, we've been flight testing with the new Iridium Next app on a Boeing 737 and a Challenger 605 for the last 12 months. Unfortunately, the delay in Iridium, we had to wait a little bit. But the best part about that is with once we've got Iridium next, we'll still be able to offer our really low-cost SMS and email unlimited packages that we've pioneered on the classic network, but it gives us a whole new way of connecting live internet. So by the time Iridium next is ready to roll in 2018, we'll be ready to roll with an even cheaper data packages and also the ability to cut the cost of live internet dramatically, mainly through a new managed service. The best part about Iridium Next and upgrading to Iridium Next that I see is that 
you're only going to need one system now to cover the rest of the world versus the current situation where you might be buying a US domestic system and then have to buy an even larger satellite system once you fly out of the USA. So I think the retrofit market for 2018 onwards is looking very exciting. Um, that's good news, actually. Um, Ron, can you, for the kind of uninitiative uh, listener out there, describe uh, what your solution in the business aviation community, exactly what it does? Well, it's going back over a decade now, Mary. We, yep. we were looking at broadband and Wi-Fi and and we were looking for an alternative method to connect and we identified Bluetooth as a viable method. At the time, really, it, people were just using it for voice and we realised that in time, based on the specs and the direction it was heading, it would become a highly effective uh, packet data transmission source. It was more a matter of getting the range and being able to network it on an aircraft. So what it allows you to do versus Wi-Fi is you can construct your own profiles and your own characteristics, and therefore you can integrate your own algorithms and management platforms. So when you combine the Bluetooth network on board, running off an app with its own proprietary protocols and algorithms and then manage that from a gateway on the ground and on the ground interface that with all the different email and SMS platforms, you end up with a with a highly cost-effective, highly optimised platform. So the end result is you're talking about delivering messages for a fraction of a cent and it means that there's no limit on the amount of use on board. Plus, you know, as Bluetooth expanded, you were able to connect multiple people. It was really, the turning point was really in 2010 with Apple because Apple's been driving the Bluetooth spec. I mean, it wanted to control the world by Bluetooth, everything from light bulbs to everything else on board. And they released Bluetooth 4 back in 2010, the spec, and we could see that all of a sudden you can network a whole range of devices and expand that to, you know, just not one or two people. So, you know, now we have a, a platform on board that's app-driven that can allow 10 people to connect down a 2.4 kilobit per second pipe simultaneously. It's quite unique in the way it works. So once you then take it to larger narrowband pipes like Swiss Broadband or Iridium Next, it opens up a whole a new way to connect. Wow, very interesting. And so um, the Iridium, obviously, uh, Iridium Next, it's backwards compatible. So any of the installations that you have right now will continue to be able to talk to Iridium Next, but you would need to, presumably one would need to upgrade if you wanted to exploit the higher uh, bandwidth pipe that Iridium Next will pr is promising. Is, is that accurate? Yes, that's accurate. Okay. In the first stages, you, you're able to use the existing antenna, existing cable. So it's virtually a simple box changeover. Ours is a is a portable box, so uh, we just swap one box for another. A lot of the aircraft out there, I mean, there's thousands of them. Companies like Aircell have 5,000-plus Iridium boxes in operation. So with them, it will be a box changeover as well. Um, and then that will move you to the first stage of Iridium. And then as your bandwidth increases you can enhance the bandwidth by there by upgrading the antenna. So it's a bit like Swift Broadband. You've got the 200, 400, 700 kilobit per second. And, the, you know, the bigger the box, the more bandwidth, the bigger the box you need or the more power you need. Iridium Next is the same. You start out with an 88 to 176, then a 350, 700, then right up to one and a half megabits per second. So 
quite a unique and interesting approach because they're low Earth orbit satellites. You don't need the very large power amplifiers to, to access the service and you don't have quite the same latency issues that you have working with geostationary satellites. Ah, interesting. And the fact that you're a portable box, does that mean that then you don't require STC? It's not a retrofitable solution? It's it's kind of like what we're seeing maybe on the commercial space in terms of the flight crew carries it on? Or, or am I thinking about that correctly? Uh, you are. Uh, in the business jet world, it's housed in a certified bracket. So we we came up with a quite an unusual approach, and that is that if you certify the bracket and the power, then the box can just slot in and sit there as a stored device. So as long as the, the beauty of Bluetooth was back in the early 2000s, we tested every single device there was that was going on board an aeroplane because we wanted to find out a way to harden up the aircraft against interference. And the one product that stood out from all the rest as, as documented as safe for use in aircraft does not interfere as Bluetooth. So the benefit of that is that you can have the box mounted but powered down. Um, and in most cases, I mean, you, it's, it's recommended you have Bluetooth on the entire flight uh, because it's documented and tested that it cannot interfere with, it, with aircraft. Hmm. Uh, this is interesting, Ron. I think that uh, most people when we think about uh, wireless connectivity, we think about Wi-Fi. Uh, all the applications mm. we see are, are Wi-Fi. I think people are aware of Bluetooth, but lately Bluetooth seems to uh, be uh, increasing in prominence. I know uh, recently when we saw some reports about Air New Zealand using Bluetooth in their uh, cargo tracking operations, uh, a lot of people raised their eyebrows and said, Bluetooth, where did that come from? You know, Why aren't they using Wi-Fi or or something else. So is this a resurgence, really? Is it something that was anticipated? Um, if you studied the the spec back in 2010 that was released, if you're from a technical mindset, you can see what was going to happen. It was going to get faster and transmit further. And it's a highly optimized protocol. And it was based on what they originally called scatter nets. So as I said, Apple was really the driver behind it. It took me a year to convince Apple that we could do what we were doing. And, you know, uh, we had to go through a lot of testing and a lot of work to show them that you could actually bend and twist Bluetooth to become a network rather than just a peer-to-peer device, which is, a, you know, single device, which has been in our automobiles and our headphones today. So Bluetooth, it really didn't come into mainstream until the iPhone 4S and then once that started everybody else had to follow. Now every modern device has Bluetooth 4 in it and you have the latest iPhones and the latest Samsung with Bluetooth 5 and Bluetooth 5 is even better. The range then extends up to 300 meters. Uh, it's it's four times faster um, and it, it shifts much larger packets at the moment. So when we want to shift a large packet, we're breaking it down into very, very small packets. But it's highly reliable. I mean, we've found that the reliability of the packet data network is virtually 100%. It's in the same category as Iridium's current fans network, where they're talking 99.9%. So uh, it's more a matter of understanding it and understanding its capabilities. And look, in on the ground, it doesn't really matter because 
you're not paying by the megabyte for bandwidth on the ground. You know, you're getting it so cheap, it doesn't matter. But once you move inside that metal cylinder, you know, where you're paying the most expensive prices for bandwidth you can get anywhere in the world, every kilobit matters. And that's why we like Bluetooth, because you can control the protocol. You can control how it works. Wi-Fi is always on. I mean, we've all seen the Wi-Fi access point in our home chattering away all day when we're not even there and wondering what it's doing. And you can imagine in an aircraft when we're on an app, we've got it chattering away in the background. With Bluetooth, you're able to develop the app and control all of that. So with Bluetooth, when we've got 200 people connected on aircraft, they're always off. They're only on for that split second when they're transmitting and then we take them back off, offline again. So you're getting maximum use of the network and you're not uh, clobbering the bandwidth by trying to keep every single person connected. And in this kind of aviation application that we're talking about here, is there still the same pairing process that would take place between devices? No, that, that was the beauty of Bluetooth 4. It eliminated pairing. So it's, it auto-identifies that you're there and then parts you. So you can have 64,000 people identified and parked. Just imagine the front line of a marathon where you've got tens of thousands of people there with their Bluetooth phones on their wrists and their iPads and their iWatches. You've got to have a method to, uh, to prevent them all from colliding with each other and recognising their own devices. And that's what Bluetooth 4 brought to the table. It was auto-identification auto and then parks them. So if 200 people walk on board with their Bluetooth app, the system automatically identifies them and knows they're there. Now, you call this the F-Flyer system, at least for uh, commercial uh, airline use. Uh, how is that uh, developing? You, you say that uh, it can be installed at, at little or no cost. I guess you've partly de described how that's possible. Maybe you can say a little bit more about that. Yeah, look, uh, the flyer, that's that's Australian spelling, Max, F-F-L-Y-A, flyer. <laughs> but, yeah, and our Bluetooth secret source is certainly different to anything else people have seen. Well, look, we started testing our portable airline version originally on an A340 military transport. It was, at the time, probably the only aircraft I could get access to in Australia. But we're also very fortunate that a major European airline cabin crew conducted some ground testing on the A380 and some flight testing on the Boeing 777 of the Bluetooth smart network. So that provided us with really solid metrics on how Bluetooth and Iridium would perform on a very large aircraft. But the reality is Flyers target market, we, we designed it for low-cost airlines. These are the guys that are struggling to justify the high cost of Wi-Fi. And more importantly, they carry passengers who are really not prepared to pay. Best part is they operate thousands of A320 and Boeing 737 aircraft. And what that would allow us to do is standardise the installation of our portable platform due to the similarities of both. And, more, and significantly, the other thing we have in the system is a unique window mount antenna. So you're not drilling holes in the top of the aircraft to connect people. It makes it a very simple installation. We designed it to address two specific issues. The first is, is a social mindset on the ground that connectivity should be free. You know, when people move, they like to stay in touch, and, and our method of doing that in flight is to give them free email and SMS. That's, you know, it's something that's 
standard on 7 billion phones, so it's the obvious choice. The second is why low-cost airlines are so successful. People love saving money. So we integrated Flyer into Vieta, who hosts 45,000 discounted tours and attractions. In flight, the perfect time to present tours and attractions as passengers are captive, they're cashed up, and they're excited about where they're flying. So Flyer delivers real-time relationship marketing with immediate impact flight program to where they're heading. Once they arrive, they can still access it on the ground by 4G or Wi-Fi. So it's basically a geodata platform. The biggest challenge we have and everybody have is take-up rates. So what we created was a software framework so that we could easily embed those features into an airline's existing booking app. The added benefit of the airline, obviously, revenue from in-flight bookings and the appeal to the passenger of free in-flight messaging would also help drive booking app downloads. Better still, the passengers become brand advocates. Every single message they sense airline branded, which extends the airline's digital reach. So, Max, when you combine the very low cost, very simple installation of Bluetooth and our, our Iridium platform, then all we basically need is one booking per flight to underwrite the entire system cost. Ron, if you're focused on the low cost, the ultra low cost carriers and the low cost carriers out there, um, I guess presumably then those carriers would not have any form of connectivity on board their aircraft. Um, so there wouldn't be any trouble. Uh, the reason why I'm asking this is because when uh, Bluetooth headphones started becoming a thing, we uh, did a piece on Runway Girl Network about you know whether or not the in-flight entertainment guys should be paying attention to this and, and starting to look at moving in that direction. And uh, Panasonic, and I want to quote them, said... In an environment where Wi-Fi and Bluetooth are together, Bluetooth was never intended as a high-density communication mechanism. It was originally in the personal area network definition, very low power, intended not to cross over certain threshold for ITU or FCC regulation, but it is also a combative technology. In other words, as the number of Bluetooth devices increases, there becomes this kind of war of devices within the environment. What do you think about that? If you're focused on, I guess, carriers that don't have connectivity, this wouldn't be an issue. But what if they do? Um, are you still going to go after that demographic? Oh, yes. Yeah. You've got to bear in mind, once you're talking headsets, you're talking audio profiles, which are predominantly mm -hmm. cl classic Bluetooth, so short range. Bluetooth 5 was designed to deal with collision avoidance and with collision avoidance with Wi-Fi. And so it's like anything, the more devices you put into a the pool, the more effect they have on each other. But that's probably the most unique aspect about the ability to create your own profiles and create, control the radios and control the overall network. So uh, we've done a lot of testing on the ground with students in schools to see what the effects are. And the, the headset side has no effect on the Bluetooth 5 platform. It operates off a se separate protocol. And you, most of the time you're talking classic Bluetooth. Okay. And then are you willing to then uh, enter kind of revenue share agreements with the airlines then whereby they don't need to, uh, to pay the upfront cost of the hardware and then make the money back in yeah. revenue? Or We'd love to pay upfront, but <laughs> <clears throat> nobody wants <clears throat> to pay. So uh, I've been in the financing airline satcoms and telephones era 
And so I have a little bit of understanding of that. Look, key, you know, there's three components of the business model. There's the there's the I, the the technology itself, the network, the Iridium Next. There's the cost of the hardware platform you need to reduce to get to that stage on a low-cost airline because their sole focus is on making money. I mean, to be honest and realistic, no low-cost airline's interested in connecting passengers unless they're going to make money out of it. If they were, they'd already have it by now. It's been around for 14 years, but it doesn't add up. The numbers don't add up. So if you're just going to give it away, then then it's going to cost you a fortune, and that's not the business model that they operate on. So the first step is you need to take a platform and take a different approach as to how you get on board, and that's what we've been able to pioneer in the BizJet world. So the cost structure of our platform is so low that we can afford to give it to them. As the manufacturer, it's very simple for us to do. In fact, you, you would have... Um, not so recently, you did an article on Lufthansa Systems' new hardware platform for Iridiumnet. Yes. That's fly. Oh. Yeah. So people are seeing that the approach to satellite and Iridium Next allows this. You can't do it with Swift broadband, but Iridium Next does, and the classic Iridium does, where you can develop a portable platform and a different way to connect off the aircraft, and that pulls all the cost down. So. Yes, we basically give it to the airline um, and then we give them a revenue share. Primary revenue is driven off the tours and attractions booking and we only look for a very small take-up rate initially on that. We only need one booking a flight to cover everything everywhere. Every message has embedded sponsors in it, so we're able to underwrite the cost of the free messaging with embedded sponsors. It doesn't affect the person in the aeroplane. It just means when the person receives a message, if it's an SMS, it says delivered by a telco or the airline. If it's an email, it's got some embedded branding into us. That underwrites the cost of the data. And so then everything you make off the booking platform, and the booking platform is not just limited to Viator. We, we built it off that because it gives you a core destination base of attractions to offer immediately. You don't have to run out there and promote and build it. It exists already. You then enhance that by adding in airline promotions, by adding in discount vouchers for bars, restaurants, etc. We've already built the site and starting to build those aspects of it. And then you plan it by route structure. So you're looking at the airline's demographics, you're looking at the route structure and then planning those that information you want to present relative to exactly to that flight and that demographic. Because we can adjust it in flight from the ground and control it in flight from the ground, we're able to refresh it and represent it any way we want. So it's sort of a combination of a technological approach, a low-cost business model, and a new way of controlling and presenting information. Not that it's new. You know, I pioneered destination-based digital advertising on Hawaiian Airlines and Air Europa back in the 90s, and I did interflora ordering flowers from the sky destination based on Qantas in the 90s as well. But what I realised back then is we couldn't get into the hands of the passenger. And even in the 2000s with Boeing and Tenzing, I was developing the platform for AirTV. We still had the same problem. Laptops sucked too much bandwidth. And, you know, the amount of technology you need on board to make that work just didn't add up at the end of the day. So the turning point is today's high-tech devices and the fact that you can put, put it in their hands and using an app technology, the latest app where you can control what they see and do. 
versus live internet where you just say you're at home, just connect, and away you go. You're not controlling anything they do. So your ability to then make money off it's very limited. And as we know, in the internet world, it's not the internet that makes money. It's who rides on top of it who does, the Facebook, the WhatsApps. Oh, very interesting. And I have to say, Ron, you're taking me back. Air TV, I remember uh, many, many years ago at uh, one of the Apex Expos, uh, uh, someone from Air TV singing, If I Had a Billion Dollars. Um. <laughs> name was John Lark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He didn't, I can tell you. The collapse of, tens of Boeing sure put an end to his plan. But he had the right idea. He had the license to do what Inmarsat's doing today. Okay, okay. And, well, just to be clear, because you mentioned the Lufthansa uh, Systems, Lufthansa Technic product, are they then effectively, for lack of a better word, like whitelisting then your product then? Uh, yes, or yes. yes, okay. Yes, we're, wow. we're teaming up with several companies. So there okay. are several large organisations that will um, – we're probably the best-kept secret in aviation, the ASI group. No one really knows who we are, and the name ASI comes from any silly idea. <laughs> <laughs> We've always worked with much larger organisations and um, we're really highly specialised in narrowband connectivity. And so, yeah, you'll see the flyer product evolve. Um, there's several airlines at the moment we're in discussion with and one OEM and also several major um, organisations. You'll see it evolve in, in many different formats, I think. Hmm. Well, Ron, let's look at this topic from a little different angle uh, just quickly, and that's consolidation. Uh, we we see broadband connectivity is really considered the cost of doing business for many airlines, and there's a lot of competition for that. Several companies are uh, fighting uh, quite hard for supremacy, but some industry stakeholders are now talking about consolidation. Uh, their reason is that there are simply too many players, that some are suffering financially. So, Ron, from your vantage point, do you forecast a shakeout in the industry? Well, Max, what, what I find really interesting at the moment is you, you've got satellite operators competing directly with ISPs. So, so you think logically that would happen, but, you know, suffering financially seems to be a normal element of the in-flight connectivity business. <laughs> Fortun fortunately, thanks to Boeing Connection and Tenzing, you know, this is our second time round. So hopefully you'd think we're all a hell of a lot smarter. But look, while, while I see the international premium market shrinking, you know, most have signed up, I think they really only just scratch the surface on, on how best to optimise the opportunity. So in my mind... The judges still probably out until they all achieve critical mass. It's going to be a very interesting time over the next three years, you know, while they all try and deliver their backlogs. You know, and I'm hoping that while they're all locked up trying to deliver to premium airlines, that, that basically I can have Bluetooth Iridium next to the low-cost airlines all to myself. But we can all dream. Um, how about yourself, Ron? Would your company be open to any interesting M&A activity? I, I have to say I didn't fully appreciate just uh, how stealthy you guys have been all these years. Um, surely there must be some uh, nibbles in your direction. <laughs> there has been for 30 years, but uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm totally unemployable, Mary. This is what I do. So, um, look, I think... 
Yeah, we we look to merging with to mergers with larger companies if we're going to achieve our goals, which is, you know, we're trying to create an alternative approach to connectivity because not everyone, it's a it's a massive market when you think about it and where it's going to head in the next ten to twenty years. I mean, there's no doubts in my mind every aircraft ultimately will have connectivity. What that will look like in five or ten years' time, I'm not quite sure, but. What I do know is that we need another alternative to Wi-Fi. We need a lower-cost solution, just as we do with BizJets. Our lower-cost solution suits a specific market in the BizJet realm. So, you know, we're hopeful that that um, what we're doing will open up that opportunity and to quite a large market. And if that's the case, it'll open up an opportunity for us to work even closer to some of the very large organisations we're turning up with now. Wow, very good. Well, we really appreciate this. This is quite a quite a uh, an education, Ron. Um, unfortunately, we're rapidly coming to a close. We want to thank our listeners, and remember, you can find us online at runwaygirlnetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at, at @runwaygirl, and remember to use the Paxx hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. I'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, the Jetliner Cabins ebook app, and I'd like to thank Ron for being our guest. Ron, where can listeners find you at? Well, I spend most of my time hiding in Australia, so <laughs> the best way to contact me is through our US company, ASIP Tech Inc., through the asiptech.com website. Very good, Ron. Fascinating conversation. Really appreciate it. And we'll ask that all of you join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX Podcast. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.